So this series of classes is called Topics in Chassidus, and it says here we have seven classes, and we have one class for each topic, which means we will cover everything you ever could possibly need to know about each topic in one class, because how much could you possibly need to know about God, creation, evil, redemption? There's not enough information there to fit even an hour and a half, so we you know, got it down to an hour and 15 minutes. No, in all seriousness, we're obviously not going to cover everything there is to know about any of these topics. Um, what the goal of the class is, is to convey some sense of what these concepts are and how they are understood as a basis for having an outlook, a perspective for further study and investigation. That's the goal. Does anyone know how to play chess? I know how to, I know what the rules are for the pieces. You know what the rules I, I are know for the pieces? Rules, I don't know how to play. Does anyone know what the point of playing you know chess is? To beat the, kill the queen. Well, let's go with to beat the other side, yes? Yeah. Now, if you don't get that basic point, everything else anyone ever tells you about chess will be meaningless, right? In other words, that's the idea. You have to have a basic context, a basic perspective, right? Chess is a competitive game. You're trying to beat the other side, right? Then you have to figure out what is the way in which you do that, how the pieces move, strategy, all those things can follow afterwards. But if you think like chess is a cooperative like um, activity where what you're trying to do is to create a beautiful arrangement of the pieces on the board, that's what you're going into. It. You're going to be very frustrated because you're not going to understand anything anybody tells you about how to play the game because your sense of what it is is off. So that's what we're going to try and do in these classes, give just a basic sense of what these things are um, in the perspective of Hasidus. Okay, so today's topic is God, which is a small topic. Now, I really should say something about the, the, the name of the class, which is Topics in Hasidus. Topics in Hasidus is a little bit of a weird title. Um, and the reason is that would be like having a class entitled to say like, Topics in Education. Why would that be weird? Right. Is there anything that human beings try to understand and make sense of that could not be something you educate people about? So anything is really a topic in education, right? So the perspective of Judaism, there's a bunch of different topics. What Hasidus does is tries to shed a particular light on those topics. So there aren't really topics in Hasidus. There are topics in Judaism which Hasidus might have an approach to. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, that's why you've heard rabbis say things like the Hasidic take on or the Hasidic approach to blank. Right. The, the blank, whatever the blank is, is not unique to Hasidus. It's general Judaism. In fact, everything I mentioned here are general topics in Judaism. Nothing here is unique to Hasidus. Okay. The other thing is that when you shed light on something, you're not really imposing or adding anything. You're just showing what was there that may not have been noticed. Right? You enter a room that's dark, you can't see what's there. If someone turns on the light, you can see what's there. A very important idea um, in, in Orthodox Judaism, and the Hasidus makes a big deal about, is that we don't add things to the Torah. We discover things that were there all along. Okay, now, that be, how that's understood is a quite a complex thing. But the bottom line of that is, is that when Hasidus says, this is, a, this is the Hasidic take on it, the idea is that Hasidus is trying to get you to see that that was what was there already in the original source material, the Tanakh, the written Torah, the Talmud, etc. Okay. 
So in that sense, it's more, it's more generic what we're going to talk about in these classes than something that's very unique to Hasidus per se. Okay, God. That's a good word, right? Um, let's skip to prophecy, yeah? Prophecy is easier. Why is prophecy an easier word? Anyone? This class is interactive, by the way. So if you don't answer, we'll just sit here in awkward silence. Why is prophecy an easier word to start with? It's less what? It's more easily defined, right? I don't say it's easy to find, but it's easier to define. Okay, but we have to go back to God. Okay, so, God, anyone want to give me a definition for God? A higher power. I mean, a power means something that has influence over you and higher, why, why is it called higher? The lower powers? Powers yeah. the left, powers the right? <laughs> something we look up to. Something we look up to. So my father is God. The ruler of the universe. I just want I look up to my father. But I don't think that's what you meant, right? No. Okay. Exactly. The ruler of the universe. Okay, that's good. So in Judaism, we find a tension, which is a very important tension to, to bring to the surface, about how we approach God. There's a book that was written by a rabbi named Rabbi Yehuda Halevi. Um, he lived in Spain. And the name of this book was the Kuzari. The Kuzari is a work of philosophy and fiction. Those two genres go nicely together. By the, way. the premise of the book is that you have a king... Um, this is based on historical fact. There was, a, there was a kingdom called the Khuzars of which the king and some of the nobility converted to Judaism. So, but, but he writes his fiction. So there's this king of the Khuzars and he has a dream where God comes to him in the dream and says that your intentions, your spirit, your soul is proper, but the way you live is not appropriate. I, I'm, not, I'm not pleased with your actions. So in other words, this man is now feels that he's been experience the calling from God, he has to go find the right true path of how to serve God. And he starts investigating different religions and very quickly starts investigating Judaism. And when he summons the Jewish sage to his presence and asks the Jewish sage, okay, so tell me about what you believe in, the Jewish sage says that we believe in a God who took our ancestors out of Egypt, revealed his will for us on a mountain named Sinai, rewards us when we live according to that revealed will and punishes us when we fail to do so. That's a pretty good description of Judaism, yes? And the king, the Khuzar king, gets very upset at this. He thinks that that's stupid. That's right. He says, shouldn't you have started with like, God is the creator of the universe or king of the universe or, you know. What you're speaking about regarding God seems to be very tangential. God is grander than what you're describing. And the Jewish sage responds and he says, that's not really important. It doesn't matter. A person's connection has to be to things that are relevant to them. What is relevant about God to me as a Jew is that God took out my ancestors, made a covenant, gave us the Torah, etc. So why it should be relevant to the king? He doesn't argue it should be relevant to the king. That's the beauty of the idea. The beauty of the idea, as he's saying, is that my argument, what I'm trying to tell you about God, is that, is that you can think about God in two very different ways. You can think about God universally, king of the universe, control of the universe, an amorphous higher power. You can also think of God 
in a very particular way. God is the God of our ancestors who took us out of Egypt and gave us the Torah. God is the God who hears my prayers and is pleased when I perform the mitzvahs as I should, and God forbid the opposite. So before we get into any, any other issues about God, there is a tension here that God is both a, a personal God of the Jewish people or the individual Jew, and then God is also a universal God of reality. And those two are, give you two very different notions of God. Very different notions of God. Now, from a Jewish perspective, traditionally, even though both of these notions of God exist, which one is primary? And I want to explain to you what I mean by primary. When you go to kindergarten, you learn a lot of things. What are some of the things you learned in kindergarten? I don't know, things you learned in kindergarten. Do you remember stuff in kindergarten? I have kindergartners, so I know. How do you use scissors? How do you use scissors? Anything else you learn? How to write. How to write? Yeah, a little bit, yeah. The alphabet. What else? How to communicate, right? How to, you know, have normal interactions. Right? Now, is there a point in life where you I mean I mean theoretically, but in general as we live life, if a point we're like, okay, we're done, we don't need scissors and knowing how to identify our shapes, colors and write and how to as they say in Yiddish, be a mensch, talk to people normally. Do we ever, do we ever move past those things? No. But um, when was the last time you used the knowledge from high school chemistry? Maybe some of you do, and maybe some of you don't, right? So when you say that something is primary, in one, one sense of primary is that it's something that everything else rests on top of. That's why you deal with it first. It serves as the foundation. So we have these two very different notions of God. They're not even really definitions. One is... God is a being who took our ancestors out of Egypt, revealed his will at Sinai, rewards us and punishes us, which is the basic theme of the Tanakh, of the Hebrew Bible. And another notion of God is God is like the ultimate source of existence, creator of the universe, governor of everything, blah, blah, blah. The kind of individual Jewish notion of God and a kind of universal notion of God. From a Jewish perspective, which is primary? Which comes first? Which is supposed to lead to the next? Those is a person supposed to first have a sense that there is God in a universal sense and then recognize that God has a special relationship with the Jewish people? Or the converse? Should it be that first a person has a sense of God in the particular Jewish sense? You know, like Pesach story and, and, and Shavuos which just came from the giving of the Torah. And only then recognize God in a universal sense. The former. So first universal God, then particular Jewish God. You start with Shema. Yeah. Well, what is Shema about? Shema is, Shema is a Hebrew verse. There's one. There's one. There's one. Yeah. But that very same verse, Shema, also says Elokeinu, our God, which all the commentators start like scrambling. What do you mean he's our God? I mean, it's, you know, if we believe that we have a God and the Babylonians have a God and the Romans have a God and everybody gets their own Why personal do God. Want everyone to believe in our God? Mm. I mean, I maybe don't want that. Maybe I'm perfectly fine. <laughs> like that's, I, have, I have all sorts of, you know, I tend to be a kind of live and let live kind of thing. You know, as you get older in life, you realize that it's okay for other people to disagree with you. So maybe God has an issue with it, but I don't have an issue with it. So 
When God gave the Torah Mount Sinai, what's the first thing he told the Jewish people? Does anyone know? I am God. I am God. That's true. So, I took you out of Egypt. So what is God telling us in his view, how should this work? Which, ver- which version of God should rest primary and then which version of God should then be built on top of that? The personal, particularly Jewish notion of God as the one who made a covenant with Avram, with Abraham, the one who took us out of Egypt, the one who's revealing his will at Sinai, and only then to graduate or move on to a kind of a notion of a universal God, king of the universe kind of thing. Otherwise he's almost irrelevant. What? Otherwise he's almost irrelevant. Otherwise he is almost irrelevant. Okay. And this is very important. Now, everybody has their own individual experiences. So I want to be clear, in this class I'm not trying to tell you what you ought to do or to devalue anybody's personal beliefs or anything. But there is a tradition in Judaism. And one of the ways we see that is in Judaism, maybe the idea of educating. And educating means giving a person a certain sense of how they ought to live. And we educate people not to steal. We educate people that they should um, uh, be hygienic, right? And so there's also a, a kind of religious education. How do we educate a Jewish child? The first verse we tell them first verse we teach them is that the Torah was something that belongs to each and every Jew. We first start with this notion we have this covenant with this bond with Hashem that's manifested through the Torah which was revealed at Sinai and only then do we move on to speaking about the nature of God. Now, what that means is from a Jewish perspective the question of what is God, what isn't God has a very, has a context of similar to when you're in a relationship with another person and you would like to know more about that person. So for instance, I am married. Um, My wife is a person. It would be weird if my wife was not, but she's a person. And being a person, she has many different aspects to her being. And she obviously has a physical body. She has has, um, plans. She has goals. She has memories. She has tendencies. She has hopes. She has fears. All sorts of things, right? Do I know the sum totality of all the different aspects of her being? No. Would I like to know more about her? Right. Why? Why why do you hope so? Because I married her, right? And if I married her, the idea is that I should have a greater sense. Now on the other hand, do I ever have an expectation that I will fully know her or even know her as fully as she knows herself? And so in the traditional context of Judaism, we have this covenant, we have this relationship with God. And that defines who God is to us. And I'll come back to him in a minute, I mean by defines. But then there is, and it's actually the first commandment, according to the Rambam, it's the first commandment, conceptions of the first commandment in the text, um, it's the first commandment to give it at Mount Sinai, is not to suffice with just knowing that we have this bond and relationship, but then to try and get to know what kind of being God is, why are we trying to get to know what kind of being God is? Well, because he's our God. While at the same time realizing that we're never going to fully understand what he is because we're not God. Right? And that's the thing. is Anytime you, have a, you, you feel a connection and a bond, you recognize you have a relationship with someone. There is a desire to know that someone more fully on the one hand. And there obviously should be the humility to recognize that you cannot fully know them because you are not them. You can only know them in some ways from some perspectives. <coughs> And so the idea of understanding God as kind of the universal God, created the universe, source of existence, blah, 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 is understood as a outgrowth of that kind of covenant and that kind of relationship. This is why classic Jewish sources do not start with philosophical discussions about whether God exists. 
and how we can know whether God exists and if God cares and any of these things. They don't just don't start that way. And I'm talking about even books that engage in these topics in classic Jewish sources, they don't start from that place. Yes? Well, let's, let's think about actual human beings, okay? Who is the first person that a human being generally develops an emotional relationship with? Why? Okay. Now, does the child first have a universal notion of motherhood and then come to appreciate that this woman named Beth is my mother? Or it's the other way around. In fact, the fact that their mother even has a proper name and is a person beyond being their mother is like a traumatic thing you discover at some point between childhood and adulthood and you're still like, then you have to like deal with that the rest of your life. <laughs> so how do actual human beings, and this is very important because there's a lot of the ways that, from, there's a lot of the ways that things that makes, we approach things that make sense when we put ourselves in an academic setting. That's not actually how people live. People actually don't start with general principles. People start with particulars. People start with things that they directly experience. If you were to ask the Jews who received the Torah, why did they receive the Torah? The answer they would have given is not, well, the creator of the universe wants to give it to me. Well, the, like the Jews stood at Mount Sinai and Moshe's like, okay, God is giving you a Torah. Are you interested? And they said, we'll take two. Written and oral. Um, but why did they agree? They didn't know what's in it. They don't know what they're signing up for. Why did they agree? Because previously, Moshe says, okay, remember way back in the day there was a man named Abraham, your ancestor? So God made a covenant with him. And then there's this whole story about how God was involved in the life of Abraham and, and his children and their children until he ended up in Egypt and enslaved. And remember when you called out to God last year and I showed up and weird stuff started happening? Right. So he kept his word to Abraham for 430 years ago. He would like to now give you his Torah to, to continue keeping his promise to Avram. Would you like to accept? No discussion of creating the heavens and the universe. No, like, there's this sense, oh, the, the God who made a promise to my grandfather, the God who kept that promise by, calling, by coming when I asked for him to help me. Right? It's grounded in that experience. And then what is the way in which Jewish people convey a sense of God to their um, children? Just one second. What is the main way we do that in Judaism? Does anyone know? What? Telling over the story, right? We have, that's the whole idea of, uh, the whole idea of the holidays in general, right? Shabbos is very much about the Exodus, but also involves creation. Um, but mainly Pesach. Right? And so, and this was the, the Rabbi Huda Levi's point, is that a Jew who's coming from a place of Jewish experience the question about God should be an outgrowth of we, I have a sense that there is this connection, this covenant in place. I might like it, I might not like it. But then my question about God is understanding who is this God who is the other side of this covenant, the other side is God. Who is this being who took me out of Egypt? Who is this being who wants me to do these mitzvahs? Who is this being who rewards and punishes me you know, according to my actions? What, exactly however that works. Um, 
and so the ideas and philosophical theological questions about the nature of God show up in Jewish texts, but they always are presented in a kind of a context that grounds it in that kind of personal thing. There was a Christian philosopher, um, and I'll let you ask the question. There was a Christian philosopher who was reported to have prayed at great length for proofs to God's existence. No, it was a Christian. And um, a, a, another, another Christian philosopher made fun of him. And um, a great rabbi named Rabbi Yosef Ber Soloveitchik, um, used to be the Rosh Hashiva this university, he, he wrote in a, in, a, in a footnote, I don't remember if it was his phrasing or he was borrowing from someone else, but the idea of praying for proofs of God exist, God's existence is like embracing someone you love and then having a philosophical query in your head as to whether they're real. Like if you're embracing someone you love, like the reality of what you're engaged with is kind of on a, on a, on a, on a, on a experiential, phenomenological level, it's real to you. Right now, maybe we'd like to understand what it means, process it, contextualize it, but like those two modes of being are not really compatible. Now, do people go through periods of doubt and skepticism? For sure they do. But, and, and there, there, there can be help and guidance for those types of things, but if we want to understand God in the context of Judaism, God in the context of Judaism is not a thesis to be debated, but someone, a being whom we try to have a better understanding of on the one hand, and humility as you don't fully understand on the other. Yes? So, then why does he talk so about creation and not our first, like, the Why does the Torah start out with creation? I believe there's a commentator named Rashi who asks that question. And, and I would just point with, what? Yeah. Commentator Rashi asks the question, why the Torah starts out with creation? Um. <laughs> oh, you want the answer too? <laughs> no, I remember the answer. It was very controversial. I'm sure it's very controversial. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go in. I'm not going to go into the answer because it, it takes us off of the topic of the class. But I want to point out the fact that that question is asked is just reinforcing this idea. In other words, as a from the Jewish perspective, the Torah shouldn't start there. I mean, it's not that it's not correct. It's not that it's not true. Maybe some later... I mean, the Torah's not written in chronological order anyway. Um, maybe it should show up. So there is discussion about this. But the fact that it's asked is an indication about this point of view. And that's what I want to talk about. Remember, the, and so what Hasidus really wants to heighten is the sense that questions about God should be approached from a place not where God is turned into a thesis, right? In other words, did God create the universe? Six arguments in favor, four arguments against. Because even if in the end of the day your six arguments in favor outweigh your four arguments against, the God that you have convinced yourself is an abstraction. Whereas the very same intellectual rigor can be applied to a different thing, which is, and again, a person can kind of ground that in whatever aspect of Jewish experience resonates with them. I'm going to do it in kind of more of a generic way. But I get up in the morning. And just be, you know, this is a common experience amongst Jewish men. And I have a sense I have to put on tefillin every day. Except on Shabbat. Like, yeah, I have to put on tefillin. Now, if I interrogate why do I have to put on tefillin, it's very quickly comes to mind. Well, there's this, you know, it's cliche because God said so. Now, if I were to interrogate that one step further, I would say, okay, well, who says I have to listen to God? No. 
No, if you interrogate that a little bit further, the thing that comes out is there's a sense I'm a Jew, and this is how we are, and like, like God, it, it's not an, it's it's not a simple imposition of authority. And then the question is, okay, well then, who am I in covenant with? Right? Who who? In other words. I'll give you a, a, a similar type of thing. I have a lot of kids. One of my tri- children is two. Two is a wonderful age because they're extremely cute. Um, they're not complicated. On the other hand, they're not always cooperative. You can't reason with two-year-olds. You're aware of this phenomenon? Okay. It's terrible twos for a reason. So, if my two-year-old is being um, more of the terrible than the cute, right? I still, right, I, I, you know, I was like, okay, well, I'm out. You know, I have other things to do with my life, right? I still have to, to be there for him. I still have to take care of him physically, be there emotionally, all those things, right? Now, if I were to stop and I were to interrogate that, right, there's a sense that there's a sense, sense of a duty, some sense of an obligation I have towards him. Why? Because he's my son. Okay, fine. But now I could take that step further. Okay, well, what does it mean that this, this, a, this a person who's my son? What does it mean that he's a, like, he, He's my son, but what is that? He's a person. What's a person? He has a whole future ahead of him. He has his own identity. He has his own personality. He has his own, right? And then that gives a whole greater depth to what it means. I have obligations and duties towards him as his father. Or conversely, I could take that same approach towards the way I feel towards my mother or any other relationship like that. So the intellectual rigor, the sense of being honest and sincere, of not you know, brushing past things, can be contextualized in the sense of I have this sense grounded whatever experience I have that God is relevant. That's the idea of the covenant. And then the question is who is this God? And eventually what the Torah teaches is that we're supposed to come to understand that the God that we have a covenant with, the God who took us out of Egypt, is the ultimate source of reality, the creator of the universe, etc., etc., etc. And that's the kind of context in which Hasidus really wants and again, it's not a novel idea of Hasidus. This is pretty standard Judaism, but Hasidus tries to really emphasize that that's where questions about God should come from because that makes them real and answerable. Because when I mean real and answerable, it means that you, just like I can get to know somebody and that makes them more a part of my life, um, whereas an abstraction, even if I fully understand it and I fully am convinced by it, remains just that, remains an abstraction. It means something that is an idea to be accepted or rejected. Okay. That's the first half of the class on God. The second half of the class on God is we're gonna talk about the nature of God himself. In other words, once we talk about how to approach the question, we're gonna start asking like, well, what kind of a thing is God? I mean, he's clearly not my cup of coffee, right? So what kind of a thing is he? But before I do that, I wanna stop and see if there's anybody has any questions, anything that wasn't clear about the first half of the class before I move to the second half of the class. Because they're gonna be very different in style. If you don't have questions, um, that's okay. I won't be offended. I would say deeper than that. Even when you accept it, what you're accepting is not a god. What you're accepting is an idea of a god. Is an is a is a is a. Is a, is a So, so this is one of the reasons why Hasidus feels that the idea of having an innate sense of God as being a feature of, 
people in general and Jews in particular is an important part of our understanding of the system. In other words, you're right. If I talk about Jews who went through the experience of Mount Sinai, they have that from the experience. If I talk about Jews who were really brought up in that way, right, because we also have kind of cultural knowledge, then I have that. What if I don't have that? then the only argument to continue maintaining that kind of train of things is that somehow there's kind of an innate notion very deep down inside of us that we can become aware of at some point in our life and kind of give more space for, an innate sense of belief in God. Um, and therefore, Chassidus speaks very much about the soul in the context of knowledge of God. Um, and he uses different psychological examples, like the way that people innately feel that they have parents and innately feel uh, a, a draw to be part of society. That's not something we have to be cultured into. But you're right. If I take this idea seriously, a question about God first becomes a question about myself. Right? I have to have some sense of either acknowledging my own experiences, let's say in the past, the Jews who experienced the Exodus, or the educational environment in which I was raised, having really absorbed that, or some kind of sense of something else inside myself, which innately draws to say that, no, this sense of covenant, this sense of duty, in whatever way I've experienced it, does resonate as being true. And that was Rabbi Yehuda Levi's argument with the, by using that um, story about the king of the Khuzars, that he had an experience that then made him interested about God rather than sitting down and just investigating the matter academically. So the ideas of the philosophy and the theology of God don't become any less important. They are become more important. They're just put at a different stage in the process. And by the way, nobody can determine for somebody else how that works, right? I mean, just like learning anything or maturing or developing, each person does that slightly differently in different ways and different paces. The same thing is true with this, this kind of that first sense of bond towards God the person feels as a result of either the hate belief or the covenant or whatever that. And then how much the person is able to absorb that, take that seriously, and pursue getting to know God. And then how many right and wrong turns they take in that process. Um, yep. Sorry, do you think it's possible for someone to, like, after studying too much into God and start getting so many questions, or accept like more and more questions you have, stop believing it? Yes. But I would say the stop believing is, I want to put a caveat there. Um, there's, a, there's a thing that happens, um, which is that when we become overwhelmed with the inability to put things into a clear picture, we recoil from it. That's the thing we do. So um, if you remember a topic in school that you were just not good at, that was very demanding, um, you know, other than the threat of like not getting good grades getting into college, is it just that, which maybe like gets you to nonetheless do the work or find a mentor or teacher to help you with it. But there's on a, on a very basic level, just a recoil and like, wherever that is, I'm not there. Right? So a lot of people have the sense of like higher math or things like that. It's just like, they just hear the word, I'm out. What? Right. And so there's a kind of overwhelming, but because, again, human beings have this need for creating a consistent story in themselves, right? And this is a very common thing, is that people who, dis I use the example of math, who dislike math, are being start to, f to develop a, not necessarily a very sophisticated notion, but some notion of devaluing math as kind of pointless. And you see a similar thing with God. So it's not getting rid of that underlying sense that was the root of the inquiry, but all of that kind of being overwhelmed or being confused or not knowing how to make sense of it, can the negativity in that experience can end up suppressing whatever sense of bond the person feels to the point that the easiest thing for the person to do psychologically is just kind of like, you know what, I'm done. So where do you stop asking questions? It's, 
it, there's no, this is the, 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 the great joy and tragedy of life is you only get to live once and you don't know if you're doing it the best way you can. And so everybody has to kind of make that decision for themselves. I'll give you an unfortunate but nonetheless true example. At what point do you know that a marriage is not worth saving? And the answer is you don't ever know that. There's always a theoretical possibility that a couple could have worked harder and saved their marriage and made a beautiful marriage. And it's always possible that... Huh? Right. That and, yeah. I know, but when it comes to God and like, especially when you're religious or you want to live with God and you want to incorporate everything you do, like, you cannot have like a, okay, I'm going to stop here. Like, your relationship won't be deep. Like, that's right. Like, but that, but, but parents that live together but have no communication. That's right. That, that's 100% right. But the, at the end of the day, there's no external way you can measure that. I'm not saying the problem isn't real. The problem is exceptionally real. The, the problem is that the problem doesn't have a solution. At some point, a person has to decide. Faith, like, this is where faith comes in because there's no, like. I would, say, I would say this is where I would say trust in one's own self comes in more than faith in God. That I've gotten to a place that I can live with for now or I haven't. Because that's ultimately what it comes down to. No external person is going to be able to give a list of criteria that's going to solve that problem for you. I mean, on a communal level, Judaism has standards, which is a topic for another time. But we're not talking about that. I'm talking about the person. The, 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 the only, the, the, there's no, I mean, there, there, there's no way a person can ever have an external criteria instead of, let's say, sort of a prophecy where it comes down that, you know, this is good enough. Or no, maybe you should push further. Or no, maybe... You're doing it wrong. You can take advice. You can reconsider. But at the end of it, you have to kind of trust yourself that if I'm okay with this, then I'm okay with this. And if I'm not okay with this, I don't want to settle for something I'm not okay with. And, um, I mean, if you think of the story of Avraham, you see that element that Avraham starts off worshiping idols and eventually rejects that. You know, what if Avraham decided, you know what, this seems a little inconsistent. This seems a little bit um, disingenuous, but this is what everyone else does. I'm just going to have to, I guess, like, be okay with that. If he had stopped there, he wouldn't have been Avraham, right? So, it, but on the other hand, at some point, somebody needs to realize there is an element of not everything always can make sense to all of us. There's always things that are unanswered. I mean, I remember things that really bothered me and I didn't understand when I was 20 that no longer bothered me. But that if I could, would go back and tell my 20-year-old self, my 20-year-old self couldn't understand it. No, for sure. So you have his issues. When it comes to God himself, like, does God not want us to, like, is it at some point you get satisfied with the answers or you just stop asking because no. it's too much? The, the, the ideal is you get to a place where you're, 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 not, you're comfortable with the process of questions that lead to answers that lead to more questions. Like, like being in a relationship with anybody. I feel like I'm going to be my deathbed and still ask questions. Where did it come from? But that's true. Right? In other words, there, there, the... the in other words, if it, it you can you can know things and realize that on some level your knowledge of them is superficial, so your questions can change, your questions can deepen, your questions can can go from shallower to to more profound, from from more generic to more personal. Questions sometimes you can even get to questions that really can't be articulated to anybody else. I I'll just I'm not going to share with you right now the specifics because I think it would take too long to explain. But I was sitting on. Um, this Shabbos, and I was thinking, meditating, contemplating before the prayers, before davening, and something struck me that never really, I never really appreciated, a, 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 like a very fundamental problem about the nature of relationship with God. I don't want to go into what it was, like, it would just take too long to yeah. explain. 
And the more I dwelt on it, the worse the problem became. I don't have a solution, by the way. No, I'm, going to now. I'm in Shul. I'm sitting there with my talus, and I'm thinking, and I'm thinking, and I'm thinking, like, this is a serious issue. Like, not like I don't believe in God. It's not that. But it's like, like it, there seems to be like there's almost impossibility about something. And, and at some point, I just like take off my talus. And by this time, um, you know, the prayers have started. And I find someone who, who also hasn't started. And I start just talking with him because I felt like I needed to process this. That happens. And for some people, that may play out in, in how they relate to the actual observance of halacha. For some people, that doesn't play out on that level. And again, once we move and talk about God's will for us on the level of society, on the community, obviously communities have to have rules and standards. But if we're talking about just the basic question of my, my connection and knowledge of God, there is not an answer to that problem. There's just, can I navigate this better? Can I trust myself to not sell myself short, not bang my head into a wall when it's impossible, figure out a way to keep growing in a constructive manner. Okay. So, now we're going to move to the things about God. Okay, now, what is a definition? Okay. I'm going to disagree with you. I would call that an explanation. A definition or criteria that tell you how to distinguish between that thing and everything else. This is what makes definitions very hard to, to, come up, to, 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 to conceive of. It's very hard to make a definition because if to get a perfect definition means it has to include everything that you think is that thing and exclude everything which is not. So use example, if I were, we all know what a game is, right? Everyone's heard of a game before, right? You played games, you've heard of a game, okay. Can someone give me, just for purpose of example, an exercise of what a game is? Like, give me a definition of a game. Not an example of a game, not some aspect of games, but like, define a game. You're gonna get it wrong, so just... Okay. So there's something called patty cake. It's not what you described, right? That's not a game. I mean, I would think did, did someone say, wait, 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 wait. Did, did someone say, I mean, did, you, did someone say, yeah. Is patty cake a game? I don't, yes, no. You could see how you could call it a game. It's all about perspective. So if I see the sky is orange and you see it as blue, my facts are. Well, no, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. That's what I'm going with. No, no, no. That's not what I'm going with. No, no, no. That's not what I'm going with. That's not what I'm going with. What I'm going with is what I'm going with is a different idea. What I'm going with is a different idea. If I were to say the patty cake, patty cake is a game. Everyone knows patty cake. You know, like, my daughter's like this. They're like this. Like, I can't. They ask me to play, and like I just like I don't know. I end up hitting myself in the face. <laughs> it's not very pleasant. Okay, is that a game? Yes. So, if someone said that's a game, you'd say that, that can't be a game. That's ridiculous. That's like saying the sky is orange. You wouldn't say that. He's like, you know, I might not call it a game. I can kind of game like it's, you know. This is where the issue with definitions comes in is because it turns out reality doesn't fit into these nice rigid boxes the way we want our minds to work, okay? And so, like, we can all agree that, I don't know, let's say football is a game. And we can all agree sitting on the beach reading a novel is not a game. But then there's a lot of things where we're like, well, is it a game? Is it not a game? Right? Lawyers love debating this kind of stuff, right? Because... It's a game for them. It is a game, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, I, think, I think having discussions can be a kind of a game. 
And, and the sense is that we know what we mean by that. Like, like we're not miscommunicating, right? You're following my use of the word, and it's more or less the same as what you meant by the word game, but when you made the definition, it was too small a definition. And the problem with definitions is we make them too big, we make them too small. It's like going, it's like going clothes shopping, where all the clothes are either for children or for elephants, and like none of us are children or elephants, and so either too small or too big, it just doesn't work. And that's a difficulty with definitions. I'm not saying definitions are bad, I'm not saying we don't have to use them, but we have that problem. So a, 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 a proper definition will separate everything that isn't that thing and include everything that is that thing. So a definition for God would be able to tell me what is God and how God is different from everything which is not God. Well, God is only well, well, okay, so, one second, one second, one second, we have a half hour, so for the purpose of the rest of this half hour, I would like us to all adopt a certain mindset, okay, which is an exceptional, and I'm going to try to do an exceptional amount of humility, what do I mean, okay, has anyone here been to India? Yeah. India. Anyone here been to India? Okay. And, okay, so now, how do you know that India, how do you know there's a country in India? You know, what? I know people. You know people are there, right? So, let, so exceptional humility means that when I say I know that there's Israel, that's very different than I know there's India because I know there's Israel, I'm in Israel, right? Whereas when I know there's India means... I trust people who've told me that there's India, right? Now, let's realizing we only know what we actually know. And what we very often do is we, like, take everything and we treat it as if we know more than we know. So things that we've been told, we treat as if we have first-hand knowledge of. Things that seem to be implied but we know, we treat it as if our actual fact. This is what you see is like people arguing about, like, politics or about, I don't know, the war in Ukraine. Are you in Ukraine? Have you been there? Did you sit in Putin's office when he gave whatever? Like, so do you know? Or let's say you know X, and X implies to you Y, but you don't know Y the way you know X, right? So in order to have any real discussion, it's very important to have tremendous humility, especially when we're going to talk about something like God. I have not been through all of the metaphysical reality, and I don't know, have any firsthand knowledge about and what is or isn't above time, do I? In fact, to be frank... I'm not even sure I have knowledge that things are beyond time because everything that I've experienced seems to be pretty time-bound, right? That make sense? Okay. So starting with that basic humility, can someone please give me a definition for God? Okay. So we're kind of stuck, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, now we can all get lattes. Um, no. No. Okay, so let's start with something very, very simple, okay? Start very, very simple. There's something that all human beings have, okay, which is called a sense of causality. I'll explain to you what this means. It's weird, because if we all have it, well, I have to explain it, but just so we're all on the same page. Is the question why something that your mind understands? 
Yeah, if someone were to ask why about anything, would your mind understand what they're asking? Okay, that means you have a sense of causality. You have a sense that in order for something to be the case in some sense, there must be causes, must be reasons, must be... Make, that makes sense? Okay, like, this is universal human phenomena, right? Okay, so we're just going through some examples, okay? There was a car driving down the road and it stopped. Why? The light was red. Give me a different answer. There was a deer. Give me a different answer. There was a pothole. There was a pothole. The, there was no gas in the car. A different, notice a different kind of an answer, right? Someone needs to get out of the car, right? So some of those answers were like, why would the person driving the car stop the car, right? One of those answers was, why is the car unable to continue going, right? Give me other answers. Person pressed the brake. Person pressed the brake. There's no more room. There's no more room. The road ended. <laughs> That's why the car, the, car, the car driving down the road stopped because it became invisible? Yeah, like who knows if the car's really there? Think about it. What's that, but it stopped. It stopped. Oh, why do we trust you to cause that? What? We haven't seen the car. Why do we trust you to cause that? You're not trusting. Well, earlier when you saw it. Like no, no, no. It's just a thought experiment. I don't Because the brakes cause the stuff. Yeah. The car okay. After yeshiva, I'm going to get on the bus. Why? What? Go home to my children. Okay, I'm going to give you a different answer, yeah? The neurons in my brain fired in a certain way, causing my muscles to contract in a certain way, which caused me to get on the bus rather than jumping in front of it. Also an answer, right? My point is, I don't care what the answer is. I really don't care what the answer is. The very fact that why is a legitimate question, we all get why, means we have a sense that whatever the this is, a fuller understanding of it requires us to have some sense of causes. There's different kinds of causes, like cause in the sense of purpose. Cause in the sense of like, you know, what, which is the first domino that hit the second domino, right? You know, the, 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 the you know, w- one man shot another man, you know, why? So you can give a physiological answer, a psychological answer, a sociological answer, right? But we understand the question. Good? I have a question. Is it why? <laughs> <laughs> no, I... I didn't say that. I, I didn't jump there yet. You didn't jump there yet. I didn't even just say I'm going to jump there, by the way. Okay. But I guess, like, my question then is, okay, we have a sense of causality. So what? Okay, so... Why does it matter if we all have that sense? How do you know we can trust that? So, so here's the thing. There is a very big difference. And this goes back to the first part of the class, but actually even in There's a very big difference between having abstract philosophical discussion and having um, discussions about things in, in reality. And the reason is because at the end of the day, 
no matter how much you can say, well, if I don't assume X, then I can conclude what I'm at the end of the day, you are a living being and you do actually treat your experiences as real. The only time you ever consider in any real way that your experiences aren't real, no. Inconsistent experiences. That's it. Which was by giving me my next point, by the way. The only time we ever, ever genuinely consider that maybe our experiences are not real, right? In a classroom, you know, we all want to sound sophisticated and intelligent, but in real life, I mean, you know, you know how many conflicts between people come about because two people are both convinced that what they heard was right? You know, somebody says something to someone else and says, why did you say that? I didn't say that. I said this. No, you did. And then for 20 minutes, they start arguing with each other about what they said. We do, and as, I'm not, this is not an argument that therefore you're right. This is an argument like it's unescapable. It's, 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 it's like it's, it's, it's silly to debate the issue because at the end of the day, you will live your life under the premise that you're, what, you, what you experience is real. If your experiences become inconsistent with each other, then what will happen? Now you have to start figuring out how to make sense of what you're experiencing. Say, for instance, when you, when you start to realize that a dreamlike state isn't consistent with how you normally experience reality, right? The famous, you can't pinch yourself in a dream kind of thing. Yeah? Okay. What? When a person is dreaming, there's certain kinds of experiences you can't have in dreams for whatever reason. So like, if you dream pinching yourself, so you start, to, so when a person has an awareness that, how does a person become aware that they're dreaming when they're aware about how inconsistent the experiences of the dream are? But until then, they're, you know, it feels real. So, and that's not an argument that you're right, it's just an argument that it's pointless to debate the issue because you will live your life as if your experiences are real, which is why we do live our life, since we all have this innate sense that things have a cause, we live our life with a sense that whatever I encounter, why is, in some sense, a legitimate question about it? So why not, I don't know, if it's irrelevant, we can just move on, but what we, when we talk about like a sense, it's, it's not like something just occurs to us, is it? Uh, yeah, I'm not exactly sure. So if you have a sense that, like, that there's causality, but it occurs to you that Maybe you can conceive of a world in which there wasn't causality, then that would be contradictory, but it's not a sense, just because you think of it. Yeah, but you can't actually. I mean, I don't, want to, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but if you really do, you'd really try to do the mental work of trying to conceive of reality without causality. What you start realizing is you're just ignoring the like, implicit causalities in there. This is the thing philosophers love pointing out. If someone makes this clever argument, it's like, well, actually, you just weren't like, being sophisticated enough and rigorous enough. Um, but, okay, but another thing that which, which is actually important is that we also have a sense of coherence. If you encounter two things, what do you expect those two things to somehow fit together? Now, you also hopefully have the humility to realize that is it necessarily so obvious how they all fit together? No. It would be very weird. Right? If a person were to say, well, yes, just because today I woke up and you know, I was in my bed doesn't mean tomorrow my bed will exist because you know, the bed may or may not exist just because. Like, nobody, nobody, nobody has that sense of reality. Now, say, well, couldn't something happen to cause the bed? Or say, of course something could happen to cause the bed to go away. But that thing would have to like, somehow fit with the way the world already is. 
And then I would like, so for instance, if you live in a war zone, you might be afraid your bed will get taken in the middle of the night. Like we have this, another thing, we have this kind of sense things should fit together. Which is why if you talk to someone and they say one thing and they say another thing and it's inconsistent, we like, either you're saying something very deep or you're just full of nonsense, one of the two. Because it can't really be that reality is inconsistent. And again, these are not things you can decide you want to accept or not accept. If the more you examine, like, that's the way we are. Okay. So now put these two things together. If we have a sense that things have cause, I have a sense that things have to fit together, that gives us a kind of sense of, how did you put it, higher power? Some kind of sense of like ultimate root cause and some sense of how it all fits together. And that's where a person starts having a sense of what we mean by God. I don't know what God is. I really don't. But I have a sense that ultimately everything fits together somehow. Somehow. Emphasis on the somehow, because if he doesn't tell me, I don't know. And I have a sense that things that are have causes for that, whether those are moral causes, physical causes, but there's some sense, right? And those senses start to formulate in a person, if you reflect on them, a kind of a sense of a, a ultimate higher power cause. And then you can like describe that as, I mean, obviously that would influence everything. You want to call it the king of the universe or governing. But that's where you start to get a notion of trying to think what kind of a thing is God. But now what that means is, if, if God is, is some, if, if our definition, not really the best word, because we're not really defining God, but it's getting us in that direction, is that God is somehow the answer to the ultimate questions of why, and God is the question, ultimate answer to the question of how does everything fit together. Now, so I wanted you to think of God as an answer to those questions. Well then, what kind of a being is God? He's a kind of being to which there's no why and not a being to which there's different parts that have to be put together. I'll explain to you what I mean. You ever have a two-year-old? And they ask you why? Or a three-year-old or four-year-old? And then you give them an answer and what do they ask again? And then you give them an answer and they say? Why? Okay. Pun intended, but why do you not do that? Really? That's true. I think a lot of times we realize that the question isn't getting us anywhere and we give up. Because we feel, we feel like, but at some point we start to realize that, that we, we've circled back. In other words, we're back at the same thing. We, we asked about something and we got a why and a why and a why and a why and a why. And then you're kind of like back at like the same kind of thing. You get a sense of like, this isn't going anywhere. So the notion of God is, well, there's some other kind of an answer to the question why, which doesn't kind of just go nowhere. Now, does that mean I know what that answer is? It means I can conceive of what that answer is? But God would be a why, an answer to the question why, to which it, not which you couldn't ask, a, you, you couldn't ask a follow-up question, not because, because it would genuinely answer the question. And by the way, this goes back to what I mean, do we know what God is? Did Moshe know what God is? Man, he's a, what? Did he know what God is? No. Mo, Moshe got to the point where he knew, he knew in the way that we know the things the most, the most, remember I said how we have to be humble? He knew in the most direct way 
that there is an answer to the question why that doesn't have a follow-up why to it. He did, that when you ask why, 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 ultimately there is an answer. But did he know what the answer is? No. That's as close as he got. Did he offer him this? Nope. And that's what the Jewish sages say. To know God, you would have to be God. You don't need to know God. You would like to know God. And the, the point here is, right? In other words, in a weird sort of way, right? Somebody grows up and they're, I don't know, they're, they're religious. And, and they ask their, their parent, like, why can't I drive on Shabbos? And the parent says, God says so. Okay, and the child's like, fine. Then the child comes back a little while later, right? A year, two, ten, whatever it is, and says, Okay, why did God say so? So which part of the answer did they not understand? The God part. Right? Really embedded in that is that they're saying, I didn't understand the God part. Because God is the ultimate answer to the why, right? So God said so. God says so means that there's there is an ultimate reason why. All the parent has said in using like more anthropomorphic language is saying there is an ultimate reason why it's important for you not to do that. And and the child goes, okay, I can feel good knowing there's an ultimately important reason for why I shouldn't like drive a car on Shabbos. And they come back and they say like, knowing that there's an ultimate important reason isn't doing it enough for me. I need to have a deeper sense that it's ultimately important. Meaning. The saying so isn't the problem, it's the, it's, it, right? the, the, the first kind of real notion of God is God is serving the role that there is answers to ultimate why questions. Not that we know the answers to the ultimate why questions. The way the Jewish philosophers put this is that you can know God exists, you can't know his essence. So if you say like, okay, the world exists, why? God created it. What does that mean? There is some reason why the world exists. There is some ultimate reason why the world exists. That's what, that's what it means. And if you knew what that was, you wouldn't be bothered by the fact that the world came into existence. You would get it. But you're not God, so you don't get it. This is one of the reasons why we worship God. Worship is a very important word. Worship, in a religious sense, means you are dealing with the feeling of connection on the one hand and the sense of it being beyond on the other hand, right? When, 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 when for instance, when we pray to God, on the one hand, we're addressing God, we're talking about our needs, we're, right? It's supposed to be very personal. On the other hand, do you really have a handle on who you're praying to, on what that is? No. And it's the same thing also with unity. When you say, like, how does this fit together? Right? People speak of the divine plan. What's the divine plan? Without using religious words. Same idea. What's the divine plan? There's an ultimate connectivity between everything. So there's something that connects it all together so it all makes a kind of sense. What is that connects all together? God. So then, you don't, so then if that's really the case, you don't ask what makes God fit together. And this is the constant challenge. And by the way, for those of you who think, well, once Mashiach comes, then this will be solved. Messiah will come, revelation of God on earth, and this problem will be, we'll finally figure this out. That's not true. Well, when, when, when Mashiach comes, we'll just have a deeper sense that there is something that really makes it all fit together. We'll even have a sense how it all makes it fit together. But will we have a sense of what God actually is? No. 
What? No. 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 In other words, I think it's very important if we're going to be honest, we're all adults here, right? I have children. Children who say things that are childlike too. We're talking about adults. We can say very coherent things, very concrete things about, in the Jewish tradition, about what God told us at Mount Sinai and how he wants us to live and how we should feel about those things. But when it comes to God, there is a... It's not completely open-ended, right? There is, a, there is an understanding of God, but that understanding of God has... It's the way I like to put it, it's the horizon of our consciousness, right? When, you, when you're traveling, like on the sea or you know, in the desert where you, there's no buildings, there's a horizon. You can't see beyond the horizon. The horizon is a feature of the fact that we live on a globe. You live on a globe, you cannot see past a certain point. Now, if you keep traveling forward towards the horizon, you might see the stuff that was on the other side of the horizon, but there, you can't see past the horizon because the horizon always remains removed from you. Does that make sense? The, our mind and God has that kind of relationship. No matter how much it makes sense to us that there is something which ultimately answers all the whys and something which makes everything fit together and something which unifies everything. And as much as we sense how it all fits together and why everything is the case, what, who and what is ultimately doing that always remains just on the other side of our mind's ability to perceive. The way the Zohar puts this, the way the Zohar puts it, is in Aramaic, no thought can grasp him. Basically, if you can think about it, it's not God. What you're thinking about is how something fits with God, relates to God, is affected by God. God is just on the other side of that. There's some questions. Yes? I thought like when Mashiach comes is like when we reach that other side, like, like full clarity. No. What, what, what changes when Mashiach comes, which is going to be the last class, but I'll, I'll briefly, briefly mention this, is that someone mentioned this notion of like feeling like should I just give up or should I just settle? All of the things that create barriers between us and God, emphasis on create barriers, go away. But the fundamental reality of the fact that we are mortal creatures who have to become aware of things through experience and God is not that, doesn't change. And so there's a concept, the Kabbalists put it is the idea of fixing the world ends but the idea of pursuing greater unity with God does not end. That there's, no, there's always this notion that, that because it's, 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 it's built into, if our most basic sense is God is the, is, is the answer to the question why, to which there is no follow-up. The answer to the question, how does it all fit together, to which there is no follow-up, but how does that fit together? Well, that's not something you can ever say, okay, I got it, I'm good. Right? I learned arithmetic, I got it, I moved on, I know you know, I, I learned Talmud. I know certain things Talmud. I got it. Moved on. You don't, can't know God like that. You can only know God the way a person can see the horizon and realize there's a nature to the world that the world is not flat, it's curved. There's a nature to reality such that there is an ultimate and there's what, what comes from the ultimate. And we can, we can have deeper and deeper senses of that, but that's it. And that's why worshiping God and serving God doesn't disappear. And we can speak about that as a kind of a unification with God, because it is in a kind of a sense, but, but there is that still that. Okay, but it does, it, isn't like, I mean, I guess there's a lot to this, and I guess we'll talk about it later, but like, when Mashiach comes, like, 
aren't we not going to be like in our physical like appearances? Like we're no, we're going to be physical. Soul. No. Fundamental Jewish belief is that the messianic era is physical in nature. Okay. Also, there's the resurrection of the dead. We'll get to that in the last class. More about that. Yeah. I just basically spent 20 minutes telling you you can't know what God is, right? One second, one second, one second. Is anybody here frustrated by that? Okay, okay. Is anybody here not frustrated? So someone's content. Anyone who's, anyone not frustrated and have some other feelings? What? What? Are you in your, but how, so then how do you feel? What? It sounds like ambivalent. It's like, you know, it is what it is. Okay. One of the I'm sure people have been in classes in high school or in college where there's a professor or a teacher who is very enthusiastic about a subject and has a hard time understanding why the students are not so enthralled by the subject matter. Yes, you've encountered this experience? Okay. They see there's, there's some kind of a, 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 a beauty and a depth and a, a, something profound about reality and life itself that's captured in this, you know, discussion of 17th century French poetry or whatever and there's it was like okay like I don't like, it, it is what it is right or, or or you're making it very complicated and frustrated we have other reactions to these things to know God as God is doesn't mean you can describe what God is it means that this this what I've described is first off not a, not something that you hear in a class it's something you know at the most core level of your being more than you could ever know that you're hungry, tired, happy, or sad. It means, you, it means it speaks to you in a very profound way. It means it's the most important thing to you because it's, it's the ultimate of all reality. And it means it fills you with a sense of joy and wonder and positivity and optimism that guides you in everything you do. And that's what we say that you know God as he truly is. Not that you get like a philosophical description of God that you can now explain to other people. That's not what you get. In other words, you, you, in other words the unknowableness is no longer, is not something that is a negative thing. It's not something that is a frustrating thing. It's not something that a person's ambivalent to. It's not even something that a person just makes peace with. It's something that animates the totality of their being and drives them with a, with a, with, 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 with a, with a positive energy to everything they're doing. Now, we have little tastes of this from time to time in our lives. And in Jewish tradition, we think of this as like a miniature redemption. And, you know, ideally when one prays, one gets to that kind of state. Emphasis on ideally. It doesn't always happen. Um, but now, can we then start talking about, okay, so how do we understand all sorts of things about how God interacts with the world? Like, how does he communicate with us? Prophecy, what is the role of the Torah, right? What does it mean he creates the world? We can discuss these things. And we can get into Kabbalistic things and mystical things and angel. We can, but on some basic level, the only thing that we can really know about God is that God is the answer to the questions. But we can't know what the answer really is. 
there is an answer to why. And I can know that there's an answer to why. And I can know that this is not the answer to why. And that's not the answer to why. And I can know there's something that makes it all make sense. And I can know that it's not this and it's not that. Right? I know that why do I exist is not to eat lasagna. That I know. That's not God. Eating lasagna is not God. What else do I know? I know that my sense of self-importance is not the, un- is not the thing that makes all the universe coherent. Right? So if I end up getting placed second in something, it is not like a travesty of the entire universe. Like those things I know. So you can, it's, it's somewhat sense easier to know what God is not than to know what God is. And the thing is that when we live our lives pursuing things that make sense and pursuing things that, that answer the question why and stopping at any particular thing, that's in a certain sense the beginning of what later becomes real idolatry. I don't go so far as to call it idolatry. But it's proto-idolatry. It's a person is a, this why, it's not an ultimate, it's not an ultimate answer to the why, but it's good enough for now. Whereas what it means to really worship God is to realize that there is an ultimate why and I don't, and I don't know what it is. I never could know what it is, but I can still know what it isn't and I can still know what it demands from me and I can still come to have a positive appreciation for that and relate to it. And then there's questions about how do we understand the, you know, the idea of personifying, we speak of God as God wanting, God desiring. How do I make sense of those kinds of descriptions? And there could be different answers to those kinds of things. But that's the core of what we mean by God in Judaism. Of which I think it should be fairly clear and obvious to everybody that if this is what we mean by God, can there be more than one? No. Okay, there's some questions. You had a question? No? Okay. Yeah. Now, but you go back to how I put the first part of the class. If you put that in the context of God took us out of Egypt and gave us the Torah and told us this is how we should live our life, that becomes entirely different. That means something very different. It's not amorphous. I have a link to that. My link to God is found in Shabbos and in a mikvah and putting on tefillin, right? Now, that doesn't mean I always know how to trace, to, to do that, right? Something you can get stuck. But that's what that means. Right? I'm in a relationship with the answer to the ultimate questions. And even though I don't never get what the answer is, I do get closer to having a sense that what the answer is not. And I get closer to the sense of letting what that answer is guide me in my life and live my life in accordance with that and finding joy in that and hope in that and solace in that. And that's very, that's, you know, that's religion. That's what it is. And we can go into, you know, the mysticism and all that stuff and all that stuff fleshes off all these things that we're talking about. By the way, I just want to be very clear. This is Rabbi Kaufman explaining the Hasidic perspective on God. So everything I just said should be taken with a heavy grain of salt, right? And I would like to say this is also Rabbi Kaufman in his 30s. Get back to me in a decade and see what I say then. No, I think this is very important to be aware of that, right? I just gave this class and very, I'm very adamant, but you know what? That's how I understand the Hasidic perspective now at this moment, trying my best to communicate it to you, right? So when you were 20, you wouldn't have given us this answer? No, I would not have. What would you have said? It's hard to remember because you can say the same words and you can remember the ideas, but, you, but you're seeing them in, in a different light. It would, have been much, it would have probably been much more analytical 
and technical. Do you think you see it more once you start having children? I think, I think in general, the more of, of what we are supposed to be as human beings becomes part of the lived experience, then you're more capable of seeing it. So having children, getting married. Also for that matter, people like to hear this, losing loved ones which I, Rakshan, have not really, I've lost grandparents, but in old age after they're very sick, it's not the same thing, but um, I have close relatives who have then lost their close relatives, and you can see they have a sense of it all fitting together and why, and the importance of that, that to me is very abstract. You know, children, grandchildren, right? And this is actually what we say, that the, in the Talmud says that we have to bless God for the good as well as the bad, uh, I'm not going to go into the whole question of evil right now, but just a very basic thing. If, if God is the ultimate answer to why and the ultimate answer to how everything fits together, well, part of the things that have the question why and part of the things that need to fit together are the negative experiences of, of life. And in some sense, those are also become, therefore, give a person a fuller sense of God. And, but yeah, I, I reserve the right to grow and change and have a different understanding. Now, at the end of the day, is that going to ever undermine my sense that God is the one who took us out of Egypt and gave us the Torah and we have to live that way? No. The question is, who is that being and what does that really mean? So the first half of the class I could have given you in my 20s and it probably would have come across more or less the same. It's the second half of the class that keeps changing. So can I come to that like in 10 years and have a Assuming I'm still here, by all means. Um, I understand how a person thinks about, like taps into their natural sense of causality and why they go why 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 they get back to Hashem but why does like tapping into a natural sense of things making sense and being coherent how does that lead to God well you just asked why <laughs> so you're really looking for God um, I, I didn't I didn't I didn't get into this um but if you examine the question of why and you examine the question of how everything fits together as one, what you realize those are two versions of the same question. They're, they're different, but they have the same underlying root to them. And there are other questions I could have brought up. I just used two, the why and the how do these two things fit together. But actually, all the fundamental questions that our mind asks, not just the why and how do these things fit together, all are really just questions of looking for God. And in that sense, um, there's a very interesting thing. The Zohar tells us that when, that Avraham served God, worshiped God every day of his life. And we know Avraham was an idol worshiper for at least the first three years of his life. So how could he say he was worshiping God? Right? He was looking for God. And if you're looking for, if you're looking for the answer why and you stumble across the wrong answer first and you pursue it until you discover it's wrong and then you let it go, you are never on the wrong track. Which means a lot of times where maybe from a perspective of the society and the halacha there is a right and a wrong, but in that person's individual life it could be that the only way they get to a more authentic sense of God is making some interesting detours along the way. That's the only way they can get there. That's not like saying it's an excuse for what people should do but it's definitely insight into what people have gone through. And that's something the Zohar says. Not, not, every, not everything which looks like a rejection of God is a rejection of God. And conversely, not everything which looks like an acceptance of God is an acceptance of God. A person who just says, I'm going to do the mitzvahs because I don't want to be punished and just leave me alone. On a deeper level, there's actually a bit of a rejection of God there. Even though on a very superficial level, it's an acceptance of God. 
Yes. But that's not God. So what is, what are we learning? You're learning about the ways in which God influences us and the way we relate back to that. It's like learning about the relationship you have with God. So that's not even God. That's right. The famous Hasidic mentor, Shmuel Grenim, said, you don't, like, you don't talk about yourself. You talk about the way you interact with reality. You talk about what's going on. So this doesn't talk about God. It talks about the relationship we have with God and how everything plays a part of that relationship. So God shows up in Chassidus all the time. But if you were to ask, you know, in, in Hasidic terminology, the essence, the atmos, and you say, how often does Chassidus describe what that is? And the answer is never. It talks about... So all we discuss is how we connect to God. And how he plays a role in our life, right? How he plays a role in our life and how we connect no, it's both. It's both. It's both. And, and in a sense, if you think about it, what's the only thing that you know about anybody else, actually? It's the same thing. Like, like do I really, on some ultimate sense, do I know, for that matter, do I even know myself? Or do I just know the way I interact with the others in my life? So in that sense, like the question of who am I and who is God are both equally unanswerable. There's a famous Hasidic, a famous, um, not Hasidic, uh, a Jewish sage named the Maral of Prague, or Yehuda Lau of Prague, and he wrote that to ask the question of what is God is as ridiculous as asking what is your very self. It doesn't really have a way to answer it. It doesn't mean anything as a question. It, 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 if you change the question, which means what it would mean for me to be true to myself, that has questions, that has answers. I think I disagree. Okay, you're welcome to disagree. People ask all the time, who are you? That's true. But he, what, he, what, he was, what, he was, what he was referring to, what he was referring to is a different notion. It's very often people ask who you are. What the information we give is not, is something which is, which is partial and circumstantial. If I were to ask who you are right now, I could, but let's try it. You asked me who I am. Who are you? Well, I first give you my name, but my name is right. That's not, that does not, that's not who I am. So you say, okay, so tell me about yourself. So people often tell their job, which I think is kind of silly because the job doesn't go so deep. So I would say like, I'm the wife. I'm the husband of my wife. I'm the father of my children. Those are very deep, important things to me. But if I reflect a little bit deeper. If you would ask me who I am right now, I would talk about you. And I feel like that would give you enough sense. Right, but again, what that does is that tells us about you, how you relate to things and about how you expect to be related to. There is, there, is, there is this kind of sense that if I can say, but who is the Chabadju? After all, I'm a Chabadju and I'm not you. You have a- No, I agree with you. So th- that's where we have that. It's just, the problem is, we're just we're talking about, you use the same question to mean two different things. He was referring to that sense, the sense in which I am I and I'm no one else. And if anything else about me would be different, I would still be in some sense me. What is that? He says, well, well, like asking what God is is kind of like asking what that is. It's kind of, it's, it's, now. What makes you unique is what asking the same thing as asking what God is saying. Right, but now if you ask, how do I be true to myself? What way of living is more authentic? What way of living is self-alienating? Right, so now if you do that in the context of Hasidus, what way of interacting with our lives in the world and Torah mitzvahs 
gives us more an authentic sense of God or a lack of authentic sense. That's what it's dealing with. Which, which is about God very much, but not in the way of answering the question. Yeah? One more question, really. So you know God, right? In the same sense that you know God. No, but I don't know God. I, I don't know all of us. So I can't yeah. all of us. One minute. If, you can, if you're able to give over to all of us, all of God, that means you know God, right? So do you, not, no, but you know enough to teach or to educate us, right? Mm-hmm. So... To this point, how did you get to this point? Did you like learn, and the learning gave you the like the like the enough to be able to give it over, or is it like experience? Like, how do I get it's to three things? To your point? It's three things. You, you won't get to my I'm point. Weird, though, like, yeah, you don't want one. You don't want one. Um, I went. I went. I went. Was teasing my my daughter. I said, you know, I can do something you can't do, and you never do. And she says, what? I said, grow a beard. She says, that's okay. I can be a mommy and you can't, so. <laughs> um, there are three things, but I, I want to be clear. I don't really, what I did is not tell you what God is, but a, a way of relating to God. One is learning. Learning means hearing what others have to say, both in person and also in text, right? And really trying to understand what they're trying to say. That's one aspect. Um, and obviously, you know, it can be somewhat selective of who you want to listen to. Not everybody has something worth saying, but you have to kind of trust yourself to make those judgment calls who you want to spend your time learning what they said, right? Um, the other thing is experience, right? Becoming a pa- getting married, becoming a parent, teaching, right? My recognition that, you know, not everybody thinks like me, and so I have to realize that, like, there's different ways of experiencing things, really, like, all of, so that experience. And the other thing is, and I'm going to group this together, although we could divide it, is... Um, reflection and prayer. Even though they're, they're, those are different, but the idea is that there has to be a thing in which there's no input. The problem with learning and the problem with experience is these are input into you. There also has to be a point at which there's no input. It's just you working it out. You working it out kind of with yourself, more reflection. You working out in the presence of God or trying to find that presence. That's prayer. But there's acquiring knowledge which is a kind of an input. There's acquiring experience, which is a kind of an input. And then there's putting it together kind of with your, yourself and in the presence of God. And you know, hopefully you, you get more stuff right than wrong over time. But I, I want to just quickly say, well, all I've done is maybe shared a more articulate way of coming to face the fact that we don't know what God is. But you can't even... I didn't really, like I, like, I haven't really given you knowledge of what God is. I've given you a way of relating to not knowing what God is. Right? That's, that's more what I've shared with you. Okay? All right. Tomorrow we'll talk about prophecy, which might sound a little bit more mystical, but is actually much easier to understand than God. In the sense that it's possible to understand at all. <laughs> <laughs>